Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. Acts 8, 26 uh, through 40. Dublin First Baptist is a mission church, uh, a church that has a heart uh, for missions. And I don't know about you, but in eight chapters of Acts so far, it's been a blessing to see how this all kind of started. Uh, In last week's sermon in the passage of Scripture, immediately before this one here in chapter 8, we were introduced to one of the initial deacons, uh, a man named Philip. He had a compassion for the lost. He had a desire to obey the Great Commission that Uh, Jesus gave to his followers, and it caused him to take the gospel uh, to the Samaritans. Uh, That that was step three in the specific geographical uh, instructions that Jesus spelled out when he gave the Great Commission back in Acts 1-8. And in the verses we read together earlier, it details the continuing uh, of Philip's disciple-making endeavors. It details the continuing work of Jesus Christ by his Holy Spirit through his followers. Um, The gospel has been given out in Jerusalem, uh, and then it went to Judea, and then last week we saw it go to Samaria, and here it goes to the uttermost parts of the world. Now, Philip himself doesn't go there, but the Holy Spirit works things out in such a way that the gospel is taken there, all because of Philip's obedience to and involvement in what Jesus told his followers to do. Before we study this, let's go to the Lord in prayer once more. Uh, Heavenly Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit, who's present here in the lives of every believer, uh, and if there's anyone here who doesn't know you as Savior, who's also present and will be calling them as the gospels proclaimed to trust in Christ the Savior this morning, I pray that he would have uh, a strong, powerful ministry uh, among us, uh, doing his work of illuminating the truth of your word to us. God, I pray that there wouldn't be any obstructions or distractions as we study your word together, and even more importantly, as we respond to your word together. Reveal your truth to us. Uh, May it renew our minds as you promised it will. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, uh, Philip's commission. He's given a little more specific one uh, here than than just the general uh, go of a great commission, but he does have a general go from God in verses 26 and 28. We find out in verse 26 that the Holy Spirit, uh, who was mightily working through Philip in his ministry to the Samaritans, the gospel's been going out to them, uh, to every village. There's been a lot of people getting saved, getting baptized. That's what we studied together last week. Uh, we could even say that, that a great revival was happening there in Samaria. And in the midst of all that, we come to verse 26. And would you look at what happens now? It says that the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, and he told him this, Arise, Go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. Now, we're going to see a little bit later that Philip is led by the Holy Spirit to do something specific once he gets there. But I have to reason that God sent this angel to him to give him this general go in his commission because it would probably be pretty difficult for Philip to do so otherwise. I want you to think about it. Uh, I mean, Philip had obeyed 
Christ's command to proceed to step three, taking the gospel into Samaria. And God had richly blessed his obedience. Uh, so many people had trusted in Christ as their Savior. They had made that faith public by being baptized. Uh, and, and the persecution that had driven Christians out from Jerusalem uh, to Judea and then to Samaria, that, that is not being experienced here just yet. So Philip had to feel somewhat content and comfortable, um, rejoicing over what God was doing there, uh, what he was witnessing, what he was being a part of in Samaria. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, Philip gets a commission. God gives Philip direction, just a general go. Where? Where is he supposed to go? He says, Philip, God says, Philip go down south. Take that road that leads from Jerusalem to Gaza. But I want you to look at the last three words of verse 26, which is desert. You think Philip might have wondered what God's plan was here? I mean, to modern church growth strategies or evangelistic efforts, this wouldn't make a whole lot of sense, humanly speaking. You think, Philip, maybe he, he might have replied to the angel that God sent. Are, are you sure? You want me to go... Where? Right now? I mean, God, God, I haven't been in Samaria all that long. Things are going so well. Um, there's more people that need to hear about Jesus here. There's more souls that need to be saved. And these new Christians, they need to be discipled further. You want me to stop all of this and head to that which is desert? Well, I don't know if Philip thought any of that or said any of that. Um, I think if we're honest, we probably would, though. Uh, we do have a record of Philip's response to his commission from God in this general go that he received. Verse 27 says plainly and simply, he arose and he went. Philip, in great faith, Philip obeyed God immediately and completely without knowing the reason, without knowing the results that we read about and we'll study together this morning in the rest of this section of Scripture. No, Philip just... He trusted in God's perfect plan without delay, without dilly-dallying. He arose and he went. And when he arrived there, he saw an individual out in this desert place. The rest of verse 27 invites us to take a look. It says, behold. So we're supposed to look at this as we read. Behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch, under, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, a queen of the Ethiopians, uh, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for worship. So Philip sees this fellow once he gets there. It's a person of great power and, and prominence in his land. It says he served Candace. That, that's a general term. That wasn't her real name. It's just a general term for the queen mother uh, in, in Ethiopia. And she'd actually be in charge of governing uh, the kingdom. Uh, her son was king, but ruling in their culture was thought to be beneath the king. And their government. Uh, and, and this man, he had traveled all the way from Africa to Jerusalem to worship God. And as a convert to Judaism, he, he may have gone up there for Pentecost. But he was now headed home, according to verse 28. And we're also told in that verse that he was reading. And we're told what he was reading. Must have been reading out loud because Philip heard him. He was reading a section of scripture from Isaiah 53. 
So far, Philip has received a commission from the Lord. It's just a general go to an isolated location, to a desert place, and he's visually seen this Ethiopian eunuch who's reading God's word. But to this point, there's been no interaction between the two of them. That's about to change because Philip's commission continues with some divine direction. Verse 29 says, In the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself uh, to this chariot. So Philip's commission from God is no longer uh, just a general go. It's now a specific action uh, to a specific individual at this specific time. And any uncertainty Philip might have had at the general go he received earlier, I I imagine it's beginning to diminish. Verse 30 Tells us, that, tells us that, that Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah. Uh, he obeyed God here in the same manner that he did when God gave him that first instruction, the, the general go. He ran thither, ran thither to him, and he heard him read the prophet Isaiah. I, I hope that as Jesus followers that we can obey God just like Philip has so far. Um, how we need to have his level of faith. That, that when God says go, we don't wait or ask why, but trust in his grace and his goodness, that, that it's as dependable as it always is, that it's purpose for our good and his glory, that, that when the Holy Spirit moves us to make contact, to initiate contact with someone and have a gospel conversation with them, that we do what Philip did, that we don't let fear or concern about what they might think. We don't let that hamper our obedience or our involvement in the great commission that Jesus has given every single one of us who have trusted in him as Savior. Let's look at Philip's communication. He starts talking to this individual. In verse 30, at the end, it says that he said to the man, Understandest thou what thou readest? (laughs) And Philip is very cognizant here. He's presented to us as being very aware. He's, he's looking for an opportunity to do what Jesus had told him to do, and all of us to do, to, as we are going, make disciples, to be a witness for Jesus Christ, here, there, and everywhere. Uh, Philip wasn't just going through life, not, not conscious of all, of all the opportunities that God routinely presents before us in his sovereignty, that, that we might interact with others, and we might point them to Jesus Christ. No, with boldness, Philip obeyed. He went up to this man, and with intentionality, Philip knew the reason that the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ was moving him to do so. It was to tell him about Jesus. It was to initiate a conversation about the gospel. Philip doesn't go up to him and says, hey, nice day we're having, or how's the weather? Uh, He doesn't go up to him and start talking about the game last night. He immediately turns the conversation Uh, about the good news, about who Jesus is and what he has done to save us. Philip asked him this question. That's always a good place to start, asking someone a question. He says, do you understand what you are reading? And the Ethiopian man replies in verse 31, how can I except some man should guide me? And then he invites Philip to come up and do just that for him. Isn't it awesome to see how God works? I mean, it is. Uh, he doesn't just command us to be involved in the Great Commission and be like, all right, go get them and, and leave us to our, ourselves. No, he presents, God presents particular opportunities. God arranges and counters in our lives and how often we fail to see this kind of thing going on for us. This isn't a rare instance. 
It's something that's in every single one of our daily experiences if we're just cognizant like Philip is, if we're just aware. God, give us an awareness so, so that we can fulfill the commission you've given every single one of us. God, God, help us not to get so distracted in life that we fail to see opportunities, that we fail to seize opportunities just like this that you have sovereignly arranged. I mean, that's my prayer right now in this sermon, but I invite you to make it your prayer and to make it your prayer often. And I'll promise you this, if you pray that way, God will answer that prayer. It's because it's what he wants you to do. He'll make you more aware. He'll give you the boldness that Philip has here. Now, Philip's communication is also Christ-centered. There is a famous quote uh, from St. Francis uh, of Assisi. Uh, It has powerful intent, but it can be kind of stupid, honestly, if it's taken out of context, and it often is. You may have heard it before. Uh, St. Francis of Assisi said, Preach the gospel at all times. When necessary, use words. Now, obviously, the intended truth, and it's good truth, is that our walk needs to match our tongue, that our works need to match our words, uh, that just like Jesus, a gospel that's performed is reinforcing to whatever gospel is preached. But please understand, there has to be a talk with the walk. There has to be words with the works. Uh, The gospel needs to be verbally communicated. It is the good news. (laughs) It's the good news. And to not realize this Uh, is like saying, feed the hungry at all times when necessary, use food. Well, that's kind of dumb, isn't it? And and that's what we need to understand. Beginning in verse 32 and on through verse 35 here, Philip speaks. (laughs) He speaks. He guides this man in his Bible study. Philip gives the good news about Jesus. He communicates. And his communication is entirely Christ-centered. Verse 32 and 33, it lets us know what part of Isaiah the Ethiopian had in front of him that he was trying to understand. These verses are a quotation from Isaiah chapter 53, where God prophetically promises that the Messiah would be a suffering servant. Verse 32, the the place of the scripture which he read was this, he was led as a sheep to the slaughter like a lamb, dumb before his shear, so open he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth. Listen, that is a portrayal of Jesus Christ that the Jewish people had the biggest struggle with. The, the idea that the Messiah would suffer, it was a stumbling block to them. A major reason that they rejected uh, Jesus as the Messiah God had promised, a reason that they do so to this day. And that's the reason that this man was confused. Why is a convert returning from worship in Jerusalem? Why is a Jew? He asked Philip in verse 34, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this? Is it about Isaiah? Is it about someone else? You know, especially after they rejected Jesus as Messiah, um, very recently here. Jewish, um, Jewish theological interpretations of Isaiah 53, what's quoted here in verses 32 and 33, um, they typically explain it as God writing to Isaiah, like Isaiah was the one who would suffer. Or maybe it was about the Jewish people as a whole, the Jewish nation as a whole. Now, Philip knew that that wasn't the case. Uh, this is clearly about Jesus. And Philip knew 
uh, that the Holy Spirit, uh, who had directed him to have a gospel interaction with this man, the Holy Spirit also directed this man to this specific passage in Isaiah. But what a, what a golden opportunity to, to go from where this man is reading in Scripture straight to the gospel. And that's exactly what Philip did, according to verse 35. What did Philip do? He opened his mouth. It says in verse 35, Philip opened his mouth, and he began at the same Scripture, and he preached, he preached unto him Jesus. Jesus. He didn't tell him how to win friends and influence people or how to have his best life now. He, he took this man from this Old Testament prophetic promise about Jesus and gave him the good news about why the Messiah, Jesus Christ, had to suffer. That he was the lamb, as verse 32 mentions, who God provided as a sub substitutionary sacrifice for, for my sin and for your sin. That Jesus died in our place for our sins, so that by faith in who Jesus is and what he has done, we can be saved. We can have new life in Christ now. We can have eternal life with him in heaven one day. Don't think that you can't do the same. If someone comes to you with a question about God's word, you can do what Philip did. You can. Our gospel witness must be Christ-centered. And when we use God's word, it should be easy because all of God's word is Christ-centered. Our ladies' Bible study is going through the book of Numbers right now. Uh, I think you're about, what, three, four weeks in? Is Jesus in Numbers? Oh, yeah. He's there. Our men, are, we've been going through the minor prophets. We call it the crispy pages, you know, Hosea, Joel. We're in Amos now. Jesus is there. You can see Jesus being referenced there. It doesn't matter whether it's from Genesis or to Revelation or anywhere in between. This book is about him. It's about Jesus Christ. He's predicted in the Old Testament. And he's revealed in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Here in Acts, he, he's preached. He's explained in the epistles, all these books after Acts. And then we get to the end in Revelation. He's expected in Revelation. This is all about him. And we're to use all of it, all of it, to tell others about him. That's what Philip did. Let's look at Philip's convert, verses 36 to 40. And uh, it's very important. This is such an important passage because it defines what it means to be saved. And so, there's so many truths here, doctrinal truths in this one little passage. Verse 36 implies that Philip also told this man uh, what happens after someone repents and believes, that, that once they trust in Jesus as their Savior, they publicly profess their faith in Jesus Christ by being baptized. Because it says here, verse 36, as they went on their way, they came to uh, a certain water, and the eunuch asked Philip, what doth hinder me to be baptized? So see, after a decision for Christ, there is to be a display of that decision. After conversion, there is to be a public confession of receiving Christ as Savior. Now, if you have a, a different English translation than the King James, you, you may have a verse missing here, or it may be down at the bottom of the page. That's because different modern English versions are based on different groups of ancient texts, and some of those ancient manuscripts, uh, they don't contain verse 37. The King James does, others uh, may. Uh, I'm glad they do because there's very important truth that's delivered in verse 37. See, the Ethiopian's question from verse 36 is answered. What doth hinder me from being baptized? The only thing that hinders you from being baptized is you trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior first. That needs to come prior. 
repenting and believing in Christ alone for your salvation. So yeah, that's a pretty vital piece of information. This is salvation by faith in Christ described. It's conversion uh, defined. How are we saved? By getting dunked up there? No, that comes afterwards. You need to repent and believe. You need to trust in Christ as Savior. That's how you are saved. And at this Christ-centered gospel communication, uh, this man does. He answers. Verse 37 says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. With that short little statement, with that confession of faith, Philip heard it. Uh, God heard it. You and I are hearing it as we read it together this morning. He did, this man did, just what God tells us in Romans 10, 9, and 10 is necessary for salvation. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, if you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. (laughs) For with the heart, man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Philip had the great joy of leading this man to receive Christ as a Savior. Conversion's been defined here in these verses. And then in verses 38 and 39, his conversion is displayed. They were already at a body of water. I'm thinking they probably had somebody else driving the chariot because they're still reading, they're still talking. Um, But they come to this body of water and uh, they wasted no time turning this man's decision for Christ into a display of that decision having happened. Verse 38, and he commanded the chariot to stand still. They went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, let's just pause right there. We are in a time um, these days when when I have heard a Baptist, I've heard it because I'm a Baptist, um, being accused of being rather dogmatic. Has anybody ever told you sometimes you're dogmatic? Yeah. Um, About things in general, but specifically doctrine, baptism. I I suppose we are. Uh, Listen, I have friends. They are dear brothers and sisters in Christ. They have trusted in Christ for salvation, just as we have learned here, um, who do baptism differently. But this is is just one of many passages about baptism in Scripture that gives us such clear truth about God's purpose in it and how baptism was practiced right from the get-go. The fact is, there, there is no record in Scripture of sprinkling or pouring uh, being a biblical mode of baptism, just, just immersion like we do here and like it's described here. Verse 38 says that Philip and the man went down both into, into the water. Oh, I'm looking at people. There's a few here that I've baptized. And Misty, we went down both into the water, right? Yeah. And it says in verse 39, they came up out of the water. There's a down into and there's a came out of. So, so as far as how the Bible portrays baptism as being practiced, that's pretty clear, right? And the reason that God has them do it this way rather than sprinkling or pouring it is all because of God's purpose in baptism. Uh, what it's to portray, the new believer telling everyone in, in action that they have been united in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, down into the water, up out of the water, sprinkling and pouring. It doesn't communicate that. Only immersion does. So, so yeah, we're dunkers. Uh, one additional thing. I, I had a friend in high school. I love him. Love him to this day. Uh, he was actually a, a pastor at a Bible church, but he's not Baptist. He can never understand, even as I was a teenager in, in college, uh, he'd never understand why we do it. Uh, he would say, it's not necessary for salvation. And I tried to explain to him, well, our Savior was baptized. 
I also tried to point him to verse after verse after verse where it's clearly commanded in the New Testament uh, as a display of our decision to follow Jesus. And I agree with him wholeheartedly. It's not necessary for salvation. You need only look to the thief on the cross who, who turned in faith to Jesus Christ in his dying moments. He never got dunked. He was a little preoccupied, wasn't he? Yeah. I don't know if that's the best defense. It wasn't a won't for him as much as a I can't. Um, before we close with verse 40, I'd like to take you back to verse 36. Look there, would you? Uh, the Ethiopian asks, what does hinder me to be baptized? What's stopping me from being baptized? Do you hear his desire in that question? And we have too many who have trusted in Jesus as their Savior, and their question is so different. It's completely opposite. Why do I have to get baptized? Well, you don't. <laughs> you don't have to. You should want to, <laughs> like this man does. Um, he just wanted to know what was preventing him from publicly identifying with his Savior. And he longed to tell the world, longed to tell the world through baptism, I'm a Jesus follower. <laughs> I've been born again. I've been saved. And the only thing that does hinder us is what hindered him. Receiving Jesus Christ as our Savior, repenting and believing in who Jesus is, what he's done for us. Nothing else should get in the way of obeying God's word in this matter. This man's desire should be the desire of everyone who's been born again. One last thing. We see disciple-making continue. Pretty wild thing happens in verse 39. As the two men are coming up out of the water, it says that the Holy Spirit caught away uh, Philip. He was there one moment. He's gone the next. The Greek word is harpazo. It's the same word used in the New Testament uh, for rapture, when, when Christ will return for his church and, and rapture them. Now, now, Philip doesn't go to heaven here. Uh, he goes to Azotus or Ashdod as a rapture from this desert place to that city. Uh, Philip was picked up and he was transported by, by the Holy Spirit. What do you think about this Ethiopian? What do you think he thought at that? Uh, I bet he was astonished. That's something I've never seen it. Have you seen anybody get? Never seen that. Um, it says in verse 39, he went on his way rejoicing. Where did he go? Rejoicing. Went home. Yeah, he went home. And the gospel is taken by him to Ethiopia. Step four. It's now in progress to the uttermost parts of the world. And Philip's not done either. Verse 40 says that he left Azotus and uh, passing through, he preached in all in all of the cities until he came to Caesarea. This deacon, <laughs> he has been responsible for, for spearheading steps three and four of the Great Commission, and he's not done yet. The gospel keeps on going out. It's going to be a while before we're in Acts 21.8. Philip is mentioned there again. He's still in Caesarea. It's probably where he made his home, uh, but he's referred there to as Philip the Evangelist. Only one in all the New Testament, that's described that way. Philip, the gospel giver. Philip, the, the good news reporter. You know, A.T. Pearson, he was a, a 19th century uh, Presbyterian pastor and missionary. He wrote, we have seen the Holy Spirit from the day of Pentecost to this point right here. We have seen him moving on multitudes. But, but in this passage, we trace his motion on individuals. He's guiding one Christian to go and have a gospel conversation with one inquirer 
of Christ. And I believe the Holy Spirit's doing the same thing this morning here. <clears throat> there might be someone here who's never repented in belief. If that's you, if you've never trusted Christ as Savior, do that this morning, even right now, while I'm talking. And yeah, we'll have a moment where we'll sing a final song, a moment to respond to God's word. Don't wait for that. Trust in Christ as Savior. There might be someone here uh, who, who has, but you have yet to obey Christ's command uh, to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. Don't, don't delay to obey anymore. There might be someone who the Holy Spirit is convicting. He's compelling you. You need to make a commitment to do what Jesus' followers have been commissioned to do, to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who do not know him yet. Will you be bold like Philip is? Don't let fear prevent you from doing what the Holy Spirit is moving you to do. Will you be cognizant, be, be uh, aware and intentional like Philip is? Will you ask God this morning, Lord, make me aware of all, of all the opportunities that you give me on a daily basis in interactions to as I am going make disciples. Why don't you pray, God, God, help me not miss, help me not neglect another encounter that you and your sovereignty provide. Well, you pray this morning like the Apostle Paul does in Colossians 4, 3 and 4, God, that God may open a door for our gospel message so, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Jesus Christ and that we can proclaim it clearly uh, as we should. And, and then after you pray that, will you commit to walk through that open door that God provides you an answer to your prayer? Maybe this week, all of a sudden you'll have a new awareness Somebody you can share the gospel with. And when, and when you see that, will you seize that opportunity? Will you, like Philip, will you run up to that chariot and begin this gospel interaction? When God says go, like he did at the beginning of our passage, and you know what? You may have a where, you don't have a why, and you don't know if you ever will. You can't figure out why. But when God says go, will you be like Philip? He arose and went. Man, we love Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, don't we? Do we live it? Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. <clears throat> no, in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he'll direct your path. That's what he did for Philip. Directed his path into fruit-bearing ministry. Finally, are, are you a Philip the evangelist? Because that's what God wants you to be. Are you, are you a John or a Susan or, or a David or a Jill the evangelist? I mean, each Christian believed. If you're, if you're a born-again Christian here this morning, you believe because somebody else was a blank the evangelist, whoever, whoever was influential in leading you to the Lord. That's how it works. They gave you the gospel. They gave you the good news. And it's not God's design that the good news comes to an abrupt halt with you. It's not God's design. As Tommy comes, leads us in a moment to respond to God's word and to the Holy Spirit. However, he's been directing you and leading your life this morning. I just ask that you'd obey.